Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Equipping You podcast. This is season two, episode four, and we're coming to you today from the epicenter of last week's bomb cyclone. Who knew what one of those was? i just tell you, it's a nasty blizzard with really uh, severe winds. We survived, and we're here. So, I'm Terry. I'm still the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, still the church planning leader in Eastern PA and the coordinator for the Northeast region of Alliance Church Planting. Today we have the special privilege of uh, interviewing someone who's a good friend of both uh, mine and Alan's, uh, Rock Dillman from uh, ACAC, Allegheny Center Alliance Church in uh, Pittsburgh. Really appreciate the fact that this is a church that didn't flee to the suburbs, but stayed in the urban center and lots of stuff for us to uh, uh, learn from uh, Rock, what what uh, what are some of the things that you have grown to appreciate about Rock, Alan? Uh, well, first of all, staying in the city, uh, not only for the church, but him living in the city, which he'll no doubt talk about. And uh, the the way that this church, this is why we asked him on here, you know, the, the wisdom he has, but also that the church really seeks the spirit and does evangelism. It's not one or the other, it's both. So true. Uh, we don't do a very good job of keeping our bubble in the middle on a lot of things, keeping in balance and... You know, typically a church will either lean toward being uh, an outreach church or lean toward being a Holy Spirit church, and uh, truly we ought to be uh, both of those things. So we're looking forward to hearing what Rock has to say to us. Grab a cup of coffee, and here we go. Well, Rock, welcome to uh, Equipping You Podcast. Thanks for joining us uh, today, taking the time. And uh, be with you. assume you're uh, assume you're in your office at Allegheny Center Church in Pittsburgh. I am looking out over the hood that I love. Amen. Love Amen. It. Love it. So we uh, like to get to know our guests uh, a little bit from the beginning. So if you wouldn't mind telling us a little snapshot view of your ministry journey uh, along the way, and let our guests get to know you. Sure. Do you want fact or fiction? Well, make stuff up. <laughs> All right. Whatever's fun. (laughs) Uh, I've been in pastoral ministry for 43 years, just in three locations. I was a youth pastor for one year, which is a story of the Spirit's leading because I didn't want to be a youth pastor. I wanted to preach, but I was approached by a church and felt the Spirit telling me I was to take it. I was their first assistant, so they only made a one-year commitment, only asked for one, and 13 months later— I was approached by the church where I spent the next seven years of my life in Northeast, the town of Northeast Pennsylvania. And if I hadn't taken that one year youth pastor, I would have never been a part of what God did in that church. Mm. It was a blue collar community of about 5,000. It had had 10 pastors in 30 years and was known as a pastor killer, but we had seven wonderful years there. Church grew from 90 to over 700. Wow. And then the Lord led us to Pittsburgh, and that's where I've been holding down for the last 
35 years in urban multicultural ministry. Along the way, I've had the opportunity to serve as VP, interim president, board chair of the Alliance, NIA trustee board, and then a number of speaking engagements in and outside of the Alliance. So that's basically my resume in a nutshell. So tell us the interim president story, uh, just a little historical glimpse into the Alliance. Yeah, I was the VP when uh, Paul Budina died suddenly of a heart attack on the tennis court. And I was representing the Alliance at a district conference in Missoula, Montana. I remember getting the phone call and being told, you're now the acting president of the Alliance. The nominating committee wanted me to take the nomination. Uh, I just went before the Lord and said, I can't do Pittsburgh and the presidency. I need to know which one. I spent about six weeks in emotional bungee jumping. <laughs> and one night at three in the morning, God awakened me and said, stay in Pittsburgh. I went back to sleep, communicated my decision the next morning. That's when I discovered that God loved me and other people had a wonderful plan for my life. <laughs> uh, I, I've now 35 years later, well, not 35 years later, but a couple decades later, I've never revisited that, never doubted that. I feel my primary life calling has been to the city of Pittsburgh. We appreciate your commitment. Well, to so that thankful calling. for that example. Yep. And uh, speaking of staying in Pittsburgh, uh, one of the things I've heard you say multiple times is that ACAC made the deliberate decision to stay in the city instead of moving to a bigger space in the suburbs. Can you tell us about the heart behind that decision? Well, when I came here, Alliance pastors told me I was crazy, which means they were good judges of character. <laughs> but uh, they you know, said that the church had no future in this neighborhood that should have moved years ago, that it would eventually need to move which speaks sadly to the suburban captivity of the American church that mm -hmm. I think has largely been Ooh. approved and advanced, if you will, by much of the church growth movement. But we looked at where God had placed us. We sought the Holy Spirit's leading, and we felt that God said, I put you on the north side of Pittsburgh for a pur purpose. So it clearly was a unanimous spirit-led decision but it was informed by the need around us because as we sat here, we saw evangelical churches starting up in all of Pittsburgh suburbs, many times just a mile down the road from an existing evangelical megachurch. And we thought, why should suburban believers be overserved while urban believers and urban communities are terribly, terribly underserved? Mm. And as we thought about it, we just felt that the neighborhoods that are the last place that the church tends to go probably are the first places that Jesus would go. So we felt God put us here for a reason and that we were to put down roots, face the challenges, but uh, seek to serve the underserved. Beautiful. Yeah. Good word. Beautiful. Yeah, too many times we as the church have abandoned the city and then we gripe about what is happening in the city when we should have stayed right there and and the gospel influence would have made a, a great difference in the city. So so tell us, uh, Rock, what you've learned by staying in the city and then some of the challenges of ministry in the city. Well, I could write books on both of those, and I probably will in my Good. retoolment. Good. 
you know, I guess one of the things I've learned is that all that glitters is not gold. Mm. I really think much of the church growth emphasis in the United States is captive to Caucasian middle class politics, economies, and worldviews, and that much of what passes as great church building success is really largely based on a reinforcement of cultural and economic values and monocultural values. Mm. When you minister in the city, uh, there's a tremendous sense of aloneness. And by that, I mean any seminar you go to, it's all geared towards the smaller community, edge city, or suburban setting. Get your acres and acres of parking, build your big building, draw more crowds with money so you can build bigger buildings, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're sitting on one acre in the hood, there's no land available. The people you serve are of a lower economic uh, condition. People don't even want to drive through your neighborhood. All of that stuff is worse than irrelevant. It's really insulting and on some days discouraging. I've learned that urban ministry is very, very, very different. But in terms of what I've learned, I've learned so much about community and the kingdom and justice and the poor that I'm confident I would have never learned mm -hmm. if I had not been dropped by God's spirit into this setting. And so I wouldn't, wouldn't trade 35 years here for all the tea in China. That's what they used to say. Anyhow. <laughs> I'm not sure what that even means. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I, I dated myself with that reference. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, you know, one of the things that I've definitely respected about you in addition to that is not only has the church stayed in the city, but you have been insistent on living in the city. How has that helped your personal ministry as a pastor? Well, you have to be on site to have insight. And you have to be in the community to understand the community and to have street cred and cachet in the community. The greatest honor I ever received in ministry occurred on my sidewalk in front of my home, which is two blocks from the church, struck up a conversation with an elderly African-American woman. We didn't introduce ourselves at the beginning of the conversation, but at the end, when I went to tell her who I was, she said, oh, I know who you are. She said, the whole neighborhood knows who you are. The day you moved in, was news all over the community hmm. because you're the only north side pastor that lives among us you have made yourself one of us and while you may not know it we love you for that and with that i just broke down and wept yeah well, i would too that, that was worth more than some cheesy clock or a gold watch <laughs> or a useless plaque what the are you saying about those 25-year clocks we give out <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I mine didn't even make the garage sale. Uh, <laughs> Neither did mine. You know, if you aren't in, you don't understand. Yeah. And even if you were able to gain some measure of understanding, the fact that you aren't in the community means you'll never be seen as one of the community. Yeah. One of my great joys is to walk this community with a large African-American population in a city that has been identified historically as being very racialized and to be hailed and greeted and hugged by my black brothers and sisters 
and to know that the word they use for me, and I'm not saying this, I'm quoting them, is that I'm real. Mm. I, I, that would have never been the case if I didn't live here. Mm. And, mm. and I love living in the city. I, I've had shootings 50 feet from my door, drug busts in front of my house, people knocking on the door at three in the morning. But for the most part, my neighbors are good people. Uh, I can walk to everything. Uh, and uh, I, I just love being a part of the city. I've got to stay here once I retool. So uh, Allegheny Center has programs that serve your city. Uh, but one of the reasons we wanted to have you as a guest on the po- podcast is because your church is clearly committed to seeking the Holy Spirit's empowerment for reaching the lost. Uh, how did a combination of deeper life and outreach become a priority for your church, Rock? Well, the DNA of ACAC, as I studied it, was dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, ACAC was one of the first alliance churches established in this area by Dr. Simpson. Its original name was Branch Number 1 of the Christian Missionary Alliance, Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pennsylvania. How's that for branding? Catchy. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> wow. Remember that. But he had an associate by the name of E.D. Whiteside who lived in Pittsburgh, he asked him to superintend the work. And Whiteside's response was, I am not worthy and capable of superintending the work, but if the Holy Spirit will superintend the work, I'll run errands for him. Wow. Well, that was our DNA. And when I came, the church was a bit charisphobic, like many Alliance churches in in that period. And I reminded them that reliance on the Holy Spirit was in our DNA from the very beginning. So we have repeatedly stressed that to the new people coming in the door, that all we seek to do is discern the leading of the Holy Spirit and run errands for Him. And as we do that in all of our strategy decisions and vision decisions, uh, God always makes those things clear. He affirms them in a number of ways. That gives our people confidence that they're not just doing something because the pastor went to a seminar and came back with a notebook. <laughs> uh, they're doing things because the leadership has vetted the ideas before the throne of God and uh, that we believe this is what the Spirit is saying to the church. Hmm, that is good stuff, my friend. It Thank is. you. You know, as I look out over the horizon of Alliance churches, it seems to me that Alliance churches tend to either lean toward deeper life or toward outreach. But what does it look like, practically speaking, in the ministry of the church to embrace both of those at the same time? If you are listening to the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have a missional and evangelistic outreach thrust, because that's the heart of God. The Holy Spirit communicates the heart of God to us. And I can't conceive of being deeper life-focused without being missional. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only way you can be deeper life-focused and not be missional is if you're running everything the Spirit says through some cultural, personal filter that filters out God's heart for lost people. So the idea that you've got to pick one of those two, you know, it's like saying i got to pick between loving my wife and serving my wife. How can I bifurcate those two things? They're opposite sides of the same coin. So the more we have focused on spirit dynamics and spirit leading, 
the more the Holy Spirit has shown us ways to engage the immediate community. And we're seeing explosive growth in people being called out of our congregation to serve with the Alliance and other agencies around the world. And even though we see our per capita giving decrease annually as we reach more and more economically challenged people, and even though we're heavily invested in the community, we're still giving over a million annually to missions. That's just the spirit affirming our following his directions. If if you're going deeper with God, you're going to be going broader with lost humanity. Yeah, love it. Mm, that is good stuff. You know, I had the uh, blessing that early in my ministry to come on over to ACAC for a training on spiritual warfare with Gerald McGraw back in the yeah. day. And, uh, and, you know, that made an impact on me, but I appreciated, uh, I wish I could recall all the details of that introduction to that, uh, but, but why it was important for you to have that at your church. Can you tell us about having, why having skills and discernment for spiritual warfare impacts the ministry in the city? Well, when I came here, I realized that there were spiritual strongholds in play. Uh, the church had a history of bigotry. I like to say it had a bad reputation, and it got it the old-fashioned way. It earned it. Uh, us- ushers were trained to tell black visitors that the Alliance had a black congregation in another area oh of town. Oh, my word. Lord uh, an African-American woman who later served on staff and preached in our pulpit as a teen, used to smoke weed on the steps as an act of protest against that white church that didn't want people like her. Hey, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw the need uh, oh, for spiritual oh, yeah, work. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> so love spiritual it. strongholds in place here. I mean, uh, bigotry is a spiritual issue. It's mm. a spiritual stronghold. Right. Fear of the Holy Spirit was a spiritual stronghold. Pride in the past of the church was a very clear spiritual stronghold. And we knew we couldn't go forward until those things were broken. And so I remember having elders go pew by pew, room by room, praying, renouncing, rebuking, breaking, liberating, so that a fresh work of the Holy Spirit could occur in this place. From there, we came to a point where uh, the Spirit's ministries and manifestations were welcomed once again. But you can't just chew people out and uh, accuse them of being bad Christians. All of us have overreacted to something. Uh, So uh, accurately assess the problem. Don't beat them up. Love on them. Tell them what you're going to do. Give them reasons why you're going to do it. Make the issue the word, not you. And I think in most cases, people will respond to that. Because intuitively, they're hungering for the reality of God. They don't want just dry theory. They want reality. Yeah. Well Mm. said. Well Well said. said. So uh, sometime in the next several months, I don't know your exact timeline, you're retooling, as you say, and uh, transitioning out of your role as as lead at uh, ACAC. Wondering, uh, as you look back over your 35 years there, yeah, what what are some of the highlights? Oh, man. Moving it from all white, all drive-in with a reputation for bigotry and no engagement in the community uh, to a place where uh, we're 35% African-American, totally diverse in all areas of leadership, 
known in the city for our diversity, and so engaged with the community that a recent building decision that required the approval of 26 different community groups who rarely align on anything <laughs> uh, netted us 26 unanimous approvals. Wow. Praise God. Wow. And when one gentleman stood in a public meeting and said that church needs to move, it's too big for the neighborhood, a host of neighborhood people who aren't believers or members stood up and said, you're crazy. We do not want that church to leave this neighborhood. Uh, to see God take an irrelevant at best and adversarial at worst Christian church and take it to the place where it's seen as a model of diversity, embraced by the community as friend, and where I'm invited to NAACP and Martin Luther King celebrations and seen as uh, somebody real in the black community, th those are the things I'll take to the grave with me with profound uh, appreciation and the feeling that I was privileged to be a part of some really exciting stuff. Love it. Oh, that is such beautiful stuff. It's uh, whew, challenging and encouraging at the same time. Uh, and as you look back with that heart full of gratitude, I know as you're thinking about transition uh, for the future of a ACAC, what are you learning about that? Because that's such a pivotal time for congregations. Well, you need to have a plan and uh, you need to get help. So we have hired two firms to help us. One, uh, organizing our internals so that we can clearly communicate where we are to candidates. And then another one to help us find viable candidates because finding pastors for uh, what are called mega churches, uh, that's always a smaller pond that you're fishing out of. But we've had the national search firm tell us multicultural urban churches like ours are so rare mm. that in their opinion, this will probably be one of the toughest assignments they've ever had. Wow. Because uh, whoever replaces me has got to be able to build credibility through uh, genuine, genuine love uh, with minority communities and uh, with this urban community. Uh, but but I keep reminding our folks, we only need one. Yeah. And we've titled the process Finding Joshua. I told them that Moses was the right guy to lead Israel out to a new place with his prophetic gifting. And that's been my gifting. But they needed a Joshua to take them in. And I've encouraged the congregation to look at the succession reality with anticipation rather than apprehension. We talk about it openly. We let them know the exact process that will be followed. We've got grassroots movement of prayer. And uh, so we're hoping it'll be the last really big thing I'll do. And I want to do it well. And I've told them that uh, I'll be remaining as a congregant because I'm spoiled. There's nowhere else I could go to church and feel fulfilled but that I'll just teach Bible and mentor new young leaders. Uh, if the new guy wants me to do that, then I jokingly said, if he doesn't, I've got backslidden friends in the neighborhood who can be very persuasive. Thank you, Rock, for uh, sharing today. We've uh, really appreciated it and enjoyed it. 
Uh, you're leaving a great legacy behind uh, with some strong influence in the whole area of urban ministry and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we're thankful for that, and we're quite certain that God has ways that he's going to continue to use you in the days and years ahead. So uh, we look forward to seeing what God does at ACAC and what God continues to do through your life and ministry. We sure do. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. All right. God bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, the word that comes to mind following that interview, Alan, is wow. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what a great uh, interview with uh, with Rock and uh, hearing his heart and so many years of uh, ministry experience. What stood out to you, man? Uh, well, like actually, what I pretty much what I said in the intro, I was really knew his heart for the city for for serving in it and living in it. Uh, I knew that when we thought about having him on that he would bring wisdom and insight, and he certainly did that. And uh, and really, the extra words there about the necessity of a church to repent over its seeking God and his mission, that was priceless for me and the conversation about the Holy Spirit. Oh, indeed. Uh, Alan, if people like Equipping You podcast, what should they do? I'm not sure why you would say if, because they definitely do. Oh, and yes. so what they should do is that they should rate us uh, and review us where they listen to that on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, and they should share it with their friends. They can send it through text message or they could share it on social media, which is even more helpful to us to get the word out to be helpful to church leaders. You know, we really care about helping pastors be healthy and fruitful. And so when they share it, that helps that happen. Indeed. So we hope you are uh, finding yourself being further equipped for the work that God's called you to. Thanks for joining us on Equipping You Podcast. Until next time, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You Podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.